Morning, everybody. All right. Um, If you've got a Bible, uh, turn to Revelation 5, please, or on your phone. Revelation 5. We're going we're gonna to do most of that chapter today in Revelation 5. Uh, sometimes we, you know, we filter our experiences through uh, the lens of, or we, 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 excuse me, let me start over. We interpret the things that we're experiencing through the lens of the, of the, of the things that we've experienced before that. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. So two weeks ago, I was... Um, even though I had a cold and, and, and it, it, you know, I didn't have children crawling all over me and I didn't have any work breathing down my neck and I was on a Caribbean island. So it was really awesome, right? Like, you know, people brought me things. I just gave them $2 bills every time they brought me something. I didn't have to do any. It was a vacation. It was a vacation. It was really, really wonderful. And then I got home. And part of it is just like when you, when you have a vacation, you come home and it's like, oh, reality, you know? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But this time, the, the reality was like school starting and having to make lunches. And, and then it unfolded into like not having any pants for my children that fit. Or, and then it, then it escalated into um, Haiti's earthquake. And then it escalated into the Delta variant. And then it escalated into, you know, s- tropical storms and, and hurricanes. And then Humphreys County is flooding this morning and overnight, and it's just like thing after thing after thing, and I just like, did I miss, like, am I interpreting the horrors of the things that I'm having to experience through the news? Am I, am I doing all that because I was like on some Caribbean island somewhere indifferent to all the cares of this world, or am I, or things just really that bad? Am I the only one that's ever had this, like, I just felt like a lot of just I can't use the word in the pulpit that I want to use to describe the things that I, my interpretation of the things this week. And so I just, as a theologian, as a Christian, and, and as a father, and all those, put all those hats on, I just, I just look at the state of affairs, and I've had these moments over, over the time of my life, and this week has been one of them. Is God in charge anymore? Like, is this, is this going to work out? You know, my, my dad would say that most people tend to interpret the, the events of their lives not with history, but, like, but since they were born. So for me, like I go back to 1975, and I interpret all the events in the history of 19, since 1975, and I would say, okay, like that's my lens. Like that's the way I interpret history. And my dad would say, who's a history buff, would say, you know, if you would just broaden your horizons a little bit, you would come away with this conclusion like it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. There is a sense in which the text that we're going to read today answers that question. Is God in charge anymore? Are his purposes unfolding? Is what we are experiencing, uh, how should it be interpreted? How should we come away and live in result of all those things? What, God, what is, what is going on? And in a very real sense, this text answers that question. It doesn't, it's not a balm. It's not a Band-Aid. It's a cure. It's a cure. Thank you, buddy. It was a little too bright for me. That's totally fine. Yeah, perfect, even better. One more, okay, great. All right, very good. So Revelation 5, I want you to, I want you to read this text 
under the premise, like in the context of, is, it, is this going to work out? Okay, is this going to work out? So stand with me and let's read Revelation 5, 1 through 14 together. And let's get at this question in our hearts. Is it going to be, is God in charge? Okay. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe to our God and they will reign on earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands and thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Okay, you can, you can be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so I, I've, I've really wrestled with this text today. For, not just today. I've wrestled with it all week. For today. Um, and, and so I went, I'm just, you can see my manuscript. It's like, <laughs> it's this blue sticky piece of paper. Uh, we're going to go about this a different way. So what I've decided to do is just kind of walk through this verse by verse with you so you can stay glued to the text because there's so much symbolism and so much Uh, rooted in apocalyptic literature, and it's so much of understanding that is so crucial to getting at what the heart is behind this text. So we're just going to kind of walk it through verse by verse. So look at verse 1, if you will. Um, Here is John in a vision before the throne of God, and he says, I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and it's sealed with with seven seals. So I want you to envision what a scroll is and what's going on with the seal. So 
back in, back in John's day, you know, you, there were codices, like there were books, um, but most things were written on a, on a scroll. And the way grass stalk, you know, and it's like celery. Uh, it's the best way I know how to describe it. So, you know, when you're eating celery and like you'll bite it and it like tears off into shreds and gets stuck in all your teeth. You know how that, that happens? So it, that, that's, that's kind of what papyrus is like. So they would literally just peel it and peel it and peel it. And you would set it, you know, you get pieces of it and just lay it right next to each other vertically. Okay, and then you would take pieces and pieces of it, and you lay it across the top vertically. You do it horizontally like this, and then you would put this like animal type glue, like you would just make glue from all kinds of muck and stuff, and it would just be clear. And you and you'd put it together, and you would basically have what amounted to a sheet of paper. Okay, and so the vertical pieces on top is the important part of that, and so you would you would do that, and you whatever long you know your your papyrus could be, your strips could be, that's how long your piece of paper was, and then you do another one and another one, and you would get it to be like thirty feet long, and then you, you would you know, either sew the pieces together to make it roll up into a scroll, or you would glue it together by overlapping it. But that's that's the way a scroll was was made, and because those vertical excuse me because those horizontal strips are on top. In, in Hebrew or in Greek, you actually write uh, horizontally like we do in English, right? So you're in Hebrew, you write right to left, but in Greek, you write left to right. But anyway, so the writing is on this scroll, and that's what it is. So it's written on this side of the scroll. Now, you wouldn't write on the back side of a scroll because on the back, the strips aren't horizontal, they're, they're vertical. So you would, you would um, continue to have up to about 30 or 40 feet of scroll, and then you would get a new scroll to do it again. In your, in your New Testament, you have the book of Luke, right? It's written by Luke. It's the Gospel of Luke. And he says, this is my first book. Then you go to Acts, and he says, in my first book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about this. Now in my second book, I'm writing to you about this. That's because the book of Luke was literally one scroll, we believe. And then the book of Acts was a second book written on a whole other whole nother scroll. So that's the reason. But here, look what's going on in this scroll. I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a son. You wouldn't do that. What is God trying to communicate here about himself and about what's going on here? This is what this means. This means that whatever is written on this scroll is thoroughly true and it is complete. There is nothing else to add. There is nothing missing. And what is there is absolutely complete and true. And if you'll notice, it is sealed with seven... Seals. You'll, you, maybe you've seen this in movies, right, where someone writes something and they'll fold it and then they'll take a wax seal and they'll drop some you know, candle wax or something on it and they'll have a ring or some sort of signet and they'll seal it shut one time. Back in John's day, um, if, if it was a very, very important document, some sort of official document like the will of somebody very rich, you would have the original document and it would be on a scroll and it would be sealed not just once, but you may like just pour wax all over the top of the thing and seal it multiple times. And seven is the number for perfection in the apocalyptic literature that we're reading today. And so what, we're, what, what, what is being communicated to us is that this is an official document. It is completely sealed thoroughly. It is perfect in its content. It is complete and thorough in its content. There's nothing missing. It is all true, and it is an official word of the Lord. So that's what this scroll means. Verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. So we have the scroll, and now we have this challenge that's pronounced. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
The word mighty is here because what's being communicated is the audience that this angel is trying to reach. If I wanted to preach to more people this morning, um, I wouldn't have to be any more mighty than my 168-pound frame. We could project my voice through the amplification of this room all the way down to the street. That's what we needed to do, even outdoors. I don't have to be mighty because something else mighty is my place to do it. Here, the angel is mighty because the audience that he is reaching is the entire universe. And he's got it in and of his own voice to project this challenge who is worthy, who is able to open the scroll and break its seals. What's the scroll? It is the authoritative, completely true, finished word of God. What's in it? If you continue to read the Revelation, what you'll find is it is the plan and purposes of God's redemption and judgment for the universe. That's what's on the scroll. It is God's plan and purpose, redemptive purposes and judgment purposes for the universe. That's what's there. Who is worthy to open the seal of this official document? Who's worthy? And the cry goes out to the entire universe in verse 3. No one in heaven, no one on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to peek in it, even to look in it. So who can't? There's not a single creature that God has made in heaven that can do this. There's not a single creature on earth that God created that is capable of breaking these seals. There's not a single creature in the abode of the dead who is capable of breaking these seals, or even looking into, trying to peel some of the paper back and even do that. No one, no one was capable. So John did what you and I would do as well, and it ties it back to why to, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look into it. Why is, why is this for? Because John, John weeps. Don't miss this. John is sad. John is weeping. John is broken because if no one can break the seal, then God's purposes of redemption can't become reality. If no one can break the seal, then no one can be with God. If no one can break the seal, then God's can't be sovereign. If no one can break the seal, then his purposes of judgment can't come true. And in this moment, in this vision, John doesn't have Netflix to distract him from this reality. John doesn't have Disney Plus to distract him from this reality. John doesn't have Facebook to complain about this reality. John doesn't have Twitter to think that the world has gone to hell in a handbasket regarding this reality. So John weeps. You know, we, we, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how over there the problems of our world seem most of the time, right? Dixon was underwater last night. And I've got, you know, I've got friends marking themselves safe. You know, places where I've been and visited, just, just, it's 
it's unbelievable. What, what's it, and it's still just over there. John's looking at the reality of the potential reality for God's plan and purposes of redemption not to come true. And it's not over there because he can't distract himself by whatever else he's got around him so he doesn't have to deal with the reality. So he weeps. He weeps. And then he weeps no more. Look at verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the, um, open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, look at the symbolism that's taking place here. Who is this? Who is the lion from the tribe of Judah? You go all the way back to Genesis 49. And the, the tribe of, of Judah is going to be, it's the, the king for the people of God is going to come from the tribe of Judah. And the banner for the tribe of Judah is that of a lion. It is a kingly tribe. And that's where the king is going to come from. And so, so the elder says, don't weep, John, because the lion from the tribe of Judah, the king that was promised, who comes from the tribe of Judah, he is here. He is also, what is he referred to as? The root of David, the root of David. That takes us back to Isaiah 11. Um, and, and, he, and he's referring to the, the fact that, that from uh, the lineage of David, the root before David, he's the root and the shoot, which I'll may come to another time and from another sermon. But he, he's the root of David. He is the person through whom the, the King David, he's the root of him. And he also comes from that same lineage. He is, he is the fulfillment of the divine king line. He is able, he is able to open the scroll. When I was, um, let me, I just want to illustrate this thing about the, the kingship, one thing. So on the, we bought our house four or five years ago and it was completely grown up. Just, I mean, the whole thing just completely grown up outside. Like we had, the power company came out, took out two trees in our front yard because they were a danger to the power lines um, in, our, in our front. And just everything in the woods, like it had been neglected for not, since 1992 when the house had been built. And so I bought a chainsaw just don't laugh, okay, with the pictures of me managing a chainsaw. But I was, I was very capable of, of, of using this chainsaw for the most part. But on the right-hand side of our house, all over the air conditioning units out there, um, was this gigantic, not to say gigantic, like, not like a redwood or anything, but it was this huge bush that really needed to be tamed. And it was way more than uh, even my truck could pull out of the ground. I had to get the chainsaw after it. And so I took you know, chain, boom, 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 I'm just knocking this thing, knocking this thing down. And um, I'm, I'm on it. And I'm, and I'm going at it, and there's, and <clears throat> I'm, I'm going at it, I'm going at it, and it gets kind of stuck, and so I, I kind of yank it a little bit to get it out, and I lose control, and I've got a big cut right here uh, from where a chainsaw took out my, uh, where I got hit in the knee here. And I was very fortunate, because a little bit deeper would have, like, taken out my knee, like my knee, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the whole knee, um, but, it, but it didn't happen. But I have a great story about a chainsaw. Um, and a scar on my knee, you need, need to prove it. But I took that thing right down to the, to the stump eventually. And now, in its place, you have all these shoots of leaves just coming right at it. So what, it's a perfect image, right, for what, what the elder is saying here to John. He says, look, remember the, remember the promise that a king would come from the tribe of Judah, the lion tribe, the king? There he is. There he is. Genesis 49, there he is. Do you remember the promise 
that both the root and the shoot from the tribe of Jesse, from the stump of Jesse, there would be a king. There he is. It was promised and promised and promised and it has unfolded and here he is. So then verse 6, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Now, there are several things that I want you to see very carefully here in this, in this text. I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. What was promised? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the king from the line of Jesse. And when he looked to see who this lion from the tribe of Judah was, when he looked to see this promised king from the line of Jesse and David was, what did he see? He saw a slaughtered lamb. That's, that's amazing. Here's why this is amazing. I want you to think about this in the context of what we present as power uh, as countries and as nations and as tribes, right? So if you were to go to Russia um, and you, they, they present, you know what animal they put forward as, a, as like the, the national symbol of their power? Does anybody know for Russia? A bear. a bear. That's right. Very good. You know what France does? Who cares about the French? Right, 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 chicken. Right, very good. Just kidding. It's a tiger, believe it, believe it or not. Yeah, Great Britain. It's a lion. That's right. United States. Yeah, that's right. All ravenous predators. Right? All ravenous predators. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? A sacrificial lamb. A sacrificial lamb. And he's got seven horns, figuratively speaking. Don't try and draw a picture of the sacrificial lamb with seven horns or seven eyes. It's a symbolic phrase meant to convey what? Absolute authority power. And he's got seven eyes that are the seven spirits that see all over the earth, which is to say complete omniscience, knows and sees all. Who knows and sees all? Who is powerful over all? A slaughtered lamb. And did you catch where he saw? No one, no created being in heaven. No created being on earth. No created being in the abode of the dead. And John saw, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Where? Standing in the midst of the throne. He wasn't there. And then he was there. Where is this slaughtered land coming from? From the throne itself. Do you see this? The Godhead being presented to us in an incredible way. The Son of God, fully, fully God, and yet fully man. It is God himself. It is only God himself who can break the seals on the scroll that God himself has written. Only God could do it. Only God could do it. And he sent him to do it. Look at the song that the, peop- that the creatures sang, and these are angelic beings who are singing in verse 8 through 10. Look at the song. When he took the scroll, he took it, the sun, 
the slaughtered lamb took it from the father's hand. And when he did so, the four living creatures, angelic beings and the 24 elders, also angelic beings, fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I've always found it interesting that it's like harps. Because that, like, I don't know if you've ever been to a harp concert, but you probably weren't dancing and celebrating when you did. You know, like, just kind of a weird thing. But culturally, that makes total sense. It's, a, it's meant to convey an environment of joy. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who is um, into bluegrass. And she, you know, she performs all over the, all the country in that bluegrass thing. And so she can play all kinds of instruments, including a banjo. Have you ever, like, just sat with somebody when they're playing a banjo? You just smile. You know what I mean? Like, nobody pulls, like, I'm really somber and sad right now. I think I'll play my banjo and wallow in it. You just can't do that with a banjo. It's just a happy thing. Like, dun, 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 dun. Like, you just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just that. Like, so that, I think, like, that's what's being conveyed here. Like, in, in, in this, in the day and age that John was in, a harp would have been a, a moment of joy. It would have been a celebratory thing culturally. And that's what's meant to be conveyed here. So each one has a harp and they're these golden bowls filled with incense, which are the, the prayers of the saints. Back in John's day, the reason you burned incense was not to cover up something that you were smoking or, um, you know, or whatever all the reasons that you might burn incense then. Back then it was like people didn't bathe very much. And so you would burn incense in order to uh, present yourself um, as uh, ready to go. Like, everything's fine here. Everything's, everything's great, right? Um, it would, that, that, that was the reason for it. And, um, and so that's what's being, it's a moment, and it's a, it's a cause for celebration. And it's, isn't it interesting that the, that the thing that is the Father and the Son are celebrating in, in this moment, the thing that they're celebrating in is the prayers of the saints. Now, why is this important? Because God can't enjoy our prayers if the seals can't be broken. There is no mediator between you and I if Jesus doesn't break the seal. Between God and you and I and God, there's no mediator if Jesus doesn't break the seals. His redemptive purposes cannot come to pass if Jesus doesn't do what Jesus does. And therefore, we can't be with God. We can't commune with God. And God can enjoy us and we can't enjoy Him. But because there is one who can take the scroll from the hand of the Father and break its seals and bring about his redemptive purposes, the prayers of the saints can be enjoyed by the Father. And so they sang a new song. Here's what they sang. Perfect. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Folks, Put this in context, okay? Look at the state of the world. And if, like me, you've had these moments where you go, what in the world? Sometimes I say it in Spanish just because it feels better. Que en el mundo? Like, to kind of make light of it a little bit and distract myself from the weight of it. And I go, who's going to fix it? This is ridiculous. Who's going to fix all this? This is... How how am I supposed to live and thrive in all these things? Is God in charge anymore? Answer, yes, Jesus took the scroll. So that's the answer. He's in charge. 
His his redemptive and judgment purposes are unfolding, even in this chaos that we live in. What makes him worthy? What makes him worthy? And And what's the result of that? You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? What makes you worthy? Because you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nations. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on earth. I've made some NFL football uh, comments here in the past several months um, because I like to watch the Dallas Cowboys ever since I was like five years old, and they were the only team on television. And, um, you know, I have to, excuse me, I, um, I have to tell you that when Mike McCarthy was chosen as coach of the Dallas Cowboys, I had my doubts. And I still have lots of my doubts, lots of my concerns. What makes him worthy of being the coach of my team? And they are my team. They don't know it, but I own the, I own the Cowboys in my heart. They are my, they are my team. What makes him worthy? And sure, he won the Super Bowl one time. And sure, you know, he had Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay. Or sure, like, I look to the worthiness of leaders in organizations to their um, to their ability to win, their ability to achieve by being stronger and better than everyone else. And I cannot believe how much that contrasts with the character of God who won through death, who conquered through a, through a slain son, who's proved his worth by taking on the sin of the world. I want to show you four things from what is it that makes him worthy? The answer is the cross. That's where Jesus proved his worth. That's where Jesus demonstrated his worth. That's how Jesus fulfilled the redemptive purposes and the judgment of God. It was through the cross, through his death, through his atonement. That's where it happened. And I want to show you four things about the atonement that are very, very important to understand when it comes to, um, to, to, to applying the realities of this to everyday life. Look at, look at verse 9. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered. You purchased people for God by your blood. The first thing about the atonement I want you to understand is that it's a bloody atonement. This goes back to the Passover In Exodus, it goes back to Leviticus and the priestly sacrifices for sin. It goes straight to the cross. There is payment in blood for our sin. It is a bloody atonement. That's what they sang. You were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood. Number two, from every tribe and language and people and nation. The Christian church is not a white church. The Christian church is not an American church. The Christian church is not Roman. It's not Jewish. It's not Latin American. It's not African. There is no room for racism in the church. There is no room for nationalism in the church. There is only room for everybody that Jesus purchased from every tribe that has ever or will ever exist, nation, tongue, and people. The atonement wasn't just bloody. It was broad. 
Every tribe, every people, every nation, every tongue. Number three, it had direction. You were worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you, here's the direction, you purchased people for God. And you made them a priest and kingdom to our God. We, we often talk about that Jesus died for our sins. There's the sweet, some cameras over there where they're interviewing the kids talking about what it means to be baptized. By the way, Ken, you have like another job coming, like as some sort of audio book reader or something like that, man. You, you got to do that. But, um, but um, it's your child after child after child, my daughter, my own. What did Jesus do? He died to save me, rescue me from my sins, to pay for my sins. All true. And yet here, and that's being conveyed here, it's being communicated here, but look, what's, what, it, look what else is being heard. You purchase people for God. Jesus paid the price for our sin against God for God. And he didn't do it just to remove us from our sin, but to give us to the Father for him to enjoy us as his people and us to enjoy him as our God. So it's directional. It's not just removal. It's toward a relationship with the Father who loves us. It's incredible. And then lastly, it's triumphant. Look at verse 10. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on earth. Underline the word kingdom, priests, reign, R-E-I-G-N, glory of God, by restoring us into a relationship with the Father for His joy, positions all of us to reign. We're going to reign We're all going to get to be in charge of a new heaven and a new earth one day. We're going to reign, and we're going to reign as priests. We're going to reign as priests. We are to be, right now, you and I have entered into a brand new citizenship, but the moment you become a believer and the moment you give your life to Jesus and the moment you are far more interested in, in, in living out your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven than you are in America, that you have a citizenship in the kingdom of God more than you have a citizenship in Hamilton County or Williamson County or Rutherford County or wherever. Far more. And in that citizenship, you function as a priest. You are functioning as a priest. And what I mean by that is you are mediating the truth of the gospel into a hurting world and you are mediating the hurts of the world back to the Father. Serving as an ambassador, if you will, between those two things. Bringing the gospel to bear on the lives of those that you do life with. We take the truth and the presence of God and we mediate it to the world. And we take the sins and the burdens and the concerns and the passions and the fears and the guilts of this world. And we take it back to God. I saw, I saw um, there's a counseling center in, um, in Green Hills, in Nashville, that um, has a lot of it has a lot of influence in some Christian circles where I, where I live, and it, it, it's a counseling service to, to children and to teenagers. And one of the ladies that um, that runs that she founded the, the center. She she has this quote that people are you know 
rifling and sharing through Facebook, so it was inevitable that my algorithm would pick it up and I would get to see it. And the point that she was making is that, listen, I know things that are you know, really, really terrible, but you know what adults we really ought to be is that we, we need to be the adults. <laughs> that children need to see and teenagers need to see mature responses to, to challenging circumstances. We need to be the most, this is the quote, we need to be the calmest people in the room. To which I would say, you know, really Christians, that's what Christians are. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus has won. Earthquakes. We're the calmest people in the room. Why? Because Jesus took the scroll and he slit the seals and his redemptive purposes are coming to pass. I can go home now. It's going to be fine. Because he took the scroll. He took the scroll. You believe that? You believe that? Let's pray. You took the scroll because you paid the price in blood, because you paid the price for people from all over for all time, because you paid the price to restore us to God, and by doing so, you made us triumphant with you. We're triumphant with you. And therefore, Lord, we as Christians, adults notwithstanding, we as Christians can live in the circumstances of this world as the calmest people in the room. Not because we're awesome, but because you took the scroll out of the hand of the Father as a worthy as a worthy slaughtered lamb. So we rejoice in that and we live in that and that brings peace, that brings solemnity, that brings joy even in the midst of pain because you took the scroll as a worthy lamb. Help us to live in that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.